Colossians 2, verse 6 through 10. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule and a head of all rule and authority. Skip down to verse 15. He says, he, Jesus, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, hallelujah, by triumphing over them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that we would be given the grace by your Holy Spirit to be watchful for those things which would seek to distract us from you. And Lord, that you would help us identify with your victory over every ruler, over every authority, over every power, over every spiritual influence. We have victory in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Before I go any further, I want to recognize someone this morning, and I want us to celebrate, and I asked for permission before I did this, but Rob Caldwell and his wife Farah came in our office this morning, and just before service, Rob prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he gave his life to the Lord, and it's been a process that he's been through, but I want to celebrate that. I asked him we could. We're so happy for things that are going on in their lives, and are we glad that they're a part of our church family? Amen. Aren't they a blessing? That's so awesome. Welcome to the family. Amen. So last week, um, we began looking at Colossians, and if you remember, I asked you to be reading uh, through the week and, and for, through the next few weeks in Colossians, even just meditating on it. Maybe if you just read a few verses a day, or it's really not that long, you could read the whole book every day for the next few days and really kind of soak and meditate on what God is saying in Colossians. But remember, this was a letter written by the first century church leader named the Apostle Paul, and he was writing while he was in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus. He was writing to a group of Christians in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And last week we looked at the entire theme of this letter is Christ and Christ alone. That's, that's what the theme is of this entire scripture. Paul is saying stay focused on Christ. Don't allow the world to distract you from Christ. Keep Christ not just a part of your life, but make him the center of your life. And today we're looking at a few verses in chapter 2 where Paul continues in the letter, but he starts to get more specific with some things that he's dealing with and the subject he's addressing. See, in chapter 1, he started off, he says, hey, remember, we're all about Jesus and only Jesus. I know the world's pulling you in a thousand directions, uh, but keep focused on Christ. Keep him front and center. And he begins just a broad stroke of, hey, this thing is all about Jesus. But then in chapter 2, he hones in on some things that are a little more specific. He really begins actually to address Two problem areas, two pitfalls that Christians can be influenced by and distracted by. We read in verse 8 just now, he starts off that verse and he says, see to it. See to it in verse 8. In the original language, it's the same word for look at. And he's saying, he's saying, look over there, look at that. He's saying, look out. 
Keep watch. Keep your eyes peeled. Keep this on your radar. It's like if you uh, have ever taken a trip uh, through the mountains and you've taken a road trip, maybe, maybe the Ozarks, but especially like the Rockies or the Appalachians or something. You're on the highway and you, you're winding through these roads and you see these warning signs uh, that are on the side of the road. And there's a picture one, falling rock zone. You see those a lot. You guys seen those before? Falling rock is on where you're going through the mountains. You're going through these sharp curves and Katie's screaming at me as I'm driving around them, right? And there's these signs on the side of the road that say falling rock. And they put those there because at this particular location, they know that it is common during rainstorms or as tectonic plates beneath the earth's crust begin to shift or as the snow melts or as humans or, or animals disturb nature and disturb the environment, it's common in that area for rocks to fall from high altitudes and then settle onto the flat surface of the road. It's just a known problem in that area. So as a driver in the mountains, when you see those signs, the idea is be extra careful that there's not any road hazards in the middle of the road. There's not any rocks that have fallen in the road that you might not be able to see. Or that worse, that they fall on you while you're driving or something. So you have to be uh, extra careful. You have to keep your eyes peeled. And Paul is saying, he's putting a road sign up when he says, see to it. He says, look out, be watchful, be cautious, because I have found as you walk on this road called living for Jesus, there are common road hazards that pop up, common things that come against Christians that you need to be aware of. And I want to, and these things will try to wreck you and they'll try to mess up your life. They'll try to take you off course. They'll try to stop your progress. And I want to deal with these two common pitfalls that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about in Colossians chapter 2, he's warning us about two things, lies and rulers. Lies and rulers. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one kidnaps you with philosophy, empty deceit, lies, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Warning sign. Look out. Keep your eyes peeled. Be watchful for deceit and these elemental spirits. Be watchful for lies and rulers. I want to be very clear about something this morning, church. You and I have a spiritual enemy. He goes by many names in Scripture, Satan, Lucifer, the devil. But he is not a cartoon character. He is not simply a negative energy force. He is not simply a metaphorical uh, personification of bad luck or of evil intentions. He is real. He is a fallen angel, the scripture says, who masquerades as light and beauty, but really he is full of hatred, pride, and arrogance. He is not your friend. He is not something to be trifled with. He is not going to play nice with you in your life. 
He hates you, even though he acts like he's doing you a favor when he tempts you, when he comes in and speaks his lies to you. He hates you, and he hates you even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're not a Christian. He hates you simply because you were created in the image of your father, and he hates your father. He will do anything he can to hurt you because he wants to hurt the heart of God. His attack is against God. And this Satan, this accuser, this devil, the scripture calls him the father of lies. And here's why. The most, the greatest and most effective attack the enemy has against you is to lie to you. His greatest and most effective strategy against your life is to speak lies. His most effective strategy to take you captive, to kidnap you, to take you from safety and to bind you, to keep you, to cripple you, to enslave you, is to get you to believe something that isn't true. See, we spend a lot of time talking about Satan's attacks in the form of temptations to get you to do something. But really, the attack didn't start with the temptation. The attack started way before Satan tried to get you to do something. The attack started when Satan tried to get you to believe something. That was good. Selah, think on that for a minute. Paul knows that this is Satan's greatest strategy against your life. He will plant lies in your life to get you to believe things that aren't true. He'll start planting lies in your life like, God doesn't really love you. Or, you're a failure and you'll never get it right. Or, you're the only one facing this situation. No one will understand and you're all by yourself and you're alone. Or, life's always going to be this way. You just need to settle and, and give up on thinking it'll change. Or, your parent treated you that way because you deserved it. They didn't love you right because there's something wrong with you. Or... You can't forgive that person. They don't deserve forgiveness. You're not capable of forgiving them. Or he might say, God doesn't care about your suffering. Or he might do like he said to Eve, and he said, God didn't tell the truth. He didn't really mean what he said. You can't trust him. Another lie that's told very frequently, God doesn't care how you live your life. And he doesn't care what you do. You can do whatever you want. And these lies, all these lies, whatever they might be, or maybe there's a different lie that he's tried to plant into your life, all of them are about trying to get you to believe something that isn't true, either about God or about you. That's how he lies. He gets you to believe something that isn't true about God or gets you to believe something that isn't true about yourself. So when Paul is warning them, he says, watch out for deceit. Watch out for lies, deceitful thankful thinking that can run you off the road. But what about the, the second common hazard, the second common pitfall? These spirits that Paul talks about, the elemental spirits, the rulers and authorities, he calls them later on in the chapter. Now, this takes a little more digging. I want you to follow me, okay? Is everybody, are y'all awake out there? Come on. All right. This takes a little more digging. But another one of Satan's key strategies is in his attack on God and on God's creation is to assign demonic spirits and authorities to take control and have influence over particular regions, areas, and even communities. Some people would call them territorial spirits. Let me put it this way. 
Beyond what you and I can see, touch, taste, hear, and feel in the natural, there is a spiritual battle going on in the supernatural realm. And Satan, with his army of demonic spirits, has launched a very strategic and a very organized attack on God's creation and on God's children. He does this by assigning certain spiritual influences to certain geographic and social areas. And every segment of the natural world has an assignment from the enemy against it. And there is a battle going on for influence in that area. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, We don't struggle against flesh and blood, but we struggle against rulers and powers and against worldly forces in this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness. Where? In heavenly places. That's not talking about the heaven where God is. It's talking about the realm that we can't see. There is a battle going on that we can't see with our natural eyes. And these spirits are assigned particular places. I'll prove it to you. In Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel is praying for deliverance, uh, it talks about there is a specific spirit or principality that is assigned to the Persian Empire. And that the angel Michael is battling against this spirit that has been assigned to Persia. And then later on in the chapter in Daniel 10, he talks about another spirit that is assigned to Greece. So you follow me? There is a specific spirit that's attached to a specific geographic location. We see it in Job. In the first few chapters of Job, God is seated in the heavenlies with the divine council. And he is having a conversation with spiritual beings. And those beings are telling him that they have been on the earth, they have been in the natural seeking and, and working, and they have come back to report what they have found and what they have done. So there's spirits that have been assigned to specific areas. We see it in Luke 11 when Jesus says, if you cast a demon out of one place, he'll look for another location to be based in. And so this idea is all through the scripture that there is specific spiritual attacks assigned to specific spiritual locations. And we also know that in pagan religions and idolatrous religions, different nations and regions and cities and com even communities, they had their own individual idols that they worshipped in that city. Their own patron god or goddess that they would erect a temple to in their community or their city. And that was the god or the goddess over that community, over that city. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 and said that when you worship those local gods and goddess, those lifeless idols, you are actually worshiping demonic forces. Here's what I'm getting at, and here's what I, what I believe Paul is getting at with these new Christians in Colossae. While they were Christians, they were saved, they were trying to follow Jesus, they still believed on some level that they were subject to continue worshiping and appeasing these false gods that they used to worship. The warning sign Paul is giving here is don't fall back into the trap of submitting yourselves to those old elemental spirits, those old rulers and authorities, those old false gods and goddesses that used to control you and run your life. And this is how it works. It begins with the lie, because that's his greatest strategy to get you to believe something that isn't true. And the lie is that even though you've begun to follow Jesus, even though you've been washed in the blood, even though you've given yourself and, and found new life in Christ, you can never be free from the old life. That's the lie. And for the first century Colossians, that lie applied here. You can serve Jesus, but you're going to have to mix him in 
serving Jesus with serving these other gods and goddesses, these other false religions, and living the same old way you lived before Jesus. And that lie says that you can serve Jesus, but you still have to keep appeasing and worshiping at the feet of these local gods and goddesses. You've got to keep the rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm happy. And so serve Jesus, but just make him one more God in this long list of gods that you seem to worship. And Paul says in Colossians 2, verses uh, 16 through 23, he writes about the different pressures that the Colossians face to eat certain foods and celebrate certain festivals and worship the new moon and worship angels and submit to pagan rituals and regulations. And he's saying, uh, this all might seem silly to you and me that this is something they would do. We might say, it's ridiculous. Why didn't they just quit doing that stuff and just serve Jesus? My answer would be the same reason you haven't. Come on, y'all, like, that was funny. Come on, man, give me something. The same reason that we haven't. Same reason we don't quit that old stuff and just serve Jesus. Sounds simple, doesn't it? This was actually a real struggle and a serious issue for these people in the New Testament. It could even have been a matter of life or death. It was common in the first few centuries after the death and resurrection of Jesus where Christians had begun to believe and follow Jesus, it was common that if anything hap- bad happened in a city or a region, the pagan people would just blame the Christians for it. They would say, it's their fault. Well, you know, if an earthquake happened in a city or something, the pagans would blame the Christians for it, and saying those Christians didn't worship the gods correctly, and now the gods are angry, and that's why they have sent this earthquake. This is real. This is true. If, a, if something bad happened, if a plague came through the city, it's because the Christians are here and because they won't worship the gods correctly and the gods are punishing us because of them. This was often a deadly situation in the year 64 AD, just less than one generation after Jesus was died, died and, and resurrected. Uh, there was a great fire that completely destroyed the city of Rome. It completely flattened the entire city. And when that fire went through, the emperor of Rome, Nero, he blamed the Christians. He said, it's the Christians who caused this. They wouldn't worship the gods correctly. They wouldn't worship and participate in our pagan rituals. And the gods were angry because of these Christians in our city. And so it's their fault. And the gods sent this fire on our city. And so to punish the Christians, the emperor Nero instituted decrees to persecute Christians. And they hunted Christians down. And they hung him on crosses and they burned them at the stake and they fed them to lions because they said if you won't worship these gods it's your fault that things are going bad in our city so there was a lot of pressure here to go along with society and go along with culture and the old rituals and the pagan religion and these new christians they were struggling with fear that they could totally break from the old life in exchange for a new life and this is the case with many of us Christians today, a fear of what would happen if we really let go of the old life, if we really let go of those things that have been so much a part of our lives before Jesus. What would happen, they're saying, if we don't worship these gods or goddesses? Something terrible. What would happen if I don't observe this festival? We might not say things like that, but we would ask things like, what would happen if I really just quit drinking? What would happen if I really quit hanging out with those friends? What would happen if I really stopped cheating on my spouse? 
What would happen if I really tried to give up my addiction? What would happen if I left that gang? What would happen if I really let Jesus into every part and every area of my life? And they lived in fear of change. They lived in fear of truly stepping into the lives that Jesus had offered them. They lived in fear of these elemental spirits, these dark spiritual forces, these demonic forces and powers and rulers. And so instead of breaking away from the old life, they just added Jesus into the mix. And the result is even more religion with no real transformation or life change. And that is exactly Satan's strategy today. To lie to you, to tell you that you can never be free from the darkness, that you can never have victory over the enemy, that you can never be free from sin, that you can never see real change in your life, that you can never be healed, that you can never be delivered, that your spouse is never going to believe, they're never going to agree with you. And so instead of making Christ Lord over your life, because of all that fear and all those lies that we begin to believe, we just make Jesus another religious idea to mix in with all the other ideas that we have about life. And you end up with being like people that Paul wrote about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said they hold an outward form of religion, they hold an outward form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. It's powerless. See, sometimes Satan's goal is not to get you to reject Christ, but instead get you to settle for powerless Christianity. Some of y'all need to write that down and remember it. Sometimes Satan's goal is not to get you to reject Christ, but instead just get you to settle for powerless Christianity, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Still living subject to the same spiritual influences that have enslaved you before you ever heard about Jesus. And Paul's warning sign is, watch out for these lies and these rulers that will keep you bound in a powerless system. Watch out for lies that tell you you can't change. Watch out for lies that tell you your old demons will always have power over you. Watch out for lies that tell you that Jesus will cohabitate with the other idols in your life. Lies keeping you in bondage. Rulers keeping you from freedom in Christ. And the enemy has assigned specific spiritual forces to you, to your household, to your neighborhood, to your community, and even this region. And he wants you and me to believe that we are powerless against these spiritual influences. Now, this is something that, you know, we've been here 12 months, and, and we've been praying and asking God about this for, for the last year. And I, I want to say this is an amazing community we live in. I love our community. I love the people here. The people have welcomed us, and even people not part of our church, just people in the community have welcomed us and made us feel at home. They've made us family. So what I'm about to say, I want you to understand, is not a slight to our community, and it's not a, it's not a condemnation of our community because every region has its issues, every city, every town, every community has its issues. So I'm, I'm not talking bad about anyone, but I did begin to ask the Lord a year ago, we began, Katie and I, what are the spiritual assignments from the enemy that are, that are posted in this region? What are we up against? What are we fighting against in the spiritual realm here? And the Lord's been dealing with us about this and identifying some spiritual uh, assignments and forces in this community. And I, I believe God gave us three. Number one, there's a spirit of addiction. 
Number two, a spirit of poverty. And number three, there's a lukewarm spirit. I'm getting some amens. I'm seeing that the prophets in the room agree that this is, the Lord is, is saying that this is real. These are spirits that I believe, we believe, are specifically and particularly assigned to this region, even this community we live in. And the lie of the enemy is that we have to settle for this. The lie of the enemy is that we have to settle for powerless Christianity that can never overcome or achieve victory over this. Now, we have a strategy here at Believer's Fellowship for how to deal with the first two. We've been talking about that a lot lately, our lifeline ministries and our getting ahead ministry to help people in, with addictions and help people in poverty. We, we've got a plan for those. In Believer's Fellowship, we're blazing some trails in this community to see those two taken care of. Amen? The real problem is the third one. Because the third one, a lukewarm spirit, will keep us powerless over the other two. Lukewarm Christianity keeps you powerless. It's the kind of Christianity that Paul is warning against and that Jesus warned against in his letter to Laodicea in Revelation chapter 1 when he said, you're lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold and I'm going to spit you out. This is not acceptable in the church to be lukewarm. It keeps you powerless. It's the kind of Christianity that just mixes Jesus into your life instead of making him Lord over your life. This is what lukewarm Christianity says. Lukewarm Christianity says going to church is respectable and honorable, but it doesn't change anything. Lukewarm Christianity says helping people in poverty, that's a wonderful call and a wonderful purpose, as long as I don't have to smell them. Lukewarm Christianity says struggling, helping people who are struggling financially, I'll, I'll give to them, I'll, I'll give to a cause, but I won't really get to know them. I don't really want to invite them into my life. I don't really want to know who they are and help them have real mindset change and real life transformation. All I really want to do is just pay them off so they'll go down the road. Lukewarm Christianity says bringing addicts to church is great. That's a wonderful thing. I just don't want to sit next to them. Lukewarm Christianity says church is important. And Jesus is important, and faith is important, and it's good for our family to be in church. But if given the choice of how I'll spend my Sunday morning, my Sunday night, my Wednesday night, I'll choose sports, entertainment, my pet hobby over church every time. If I'm ever given a choice, church always loses. That's lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity says, I want the free gift of salvation to ensure me a spot over in glory, but I don't want to pay the price of prayer and fasting and intimacy with God and the things that I need to do to receive an anointing that is strong enough to break the yoke of bondage, of addiction and poverty and issues in my community. You see, the enemy's strategy in this community, in Yale County, is to get you and I to settle for a powerless Sunday morning, if convenient, love people from a safe distance, but don't really love them, wish things were better, but don't do anything about it. That kind of Christianity is what he's trying to get us to settle for. And that's his strategy for this house and for this church to just disarm us of all power and authority in our community. And he has assigned a spirit of lukewarmness, a spirit of religious complacency on our community to immobilize and sterilize the church of the Lord Jesus. And we have believed the lie that this is just how it is. 
unaware that in reality we are simply submitting to the authority of a false god, of a demonic spirit who has been assigned to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy our community, our neighbors, our churches, and our own families. But Paul is writing in Colossians and he says, don't you worry. I know it looks like those spirits are too big for you to overcome. That's a mighty big list we have to face right there. But he says, I know it looks like it's hard. I know it looks like they have all the power. I know it feels like you're too small and too weak for this. But he says, if you walk in Christ, that's verse 6. And if you dig down some roots in Christ, if you establish yourself in Christ, if you develop a prayer life, if you keep your nose in the book, if you keep your face on the floor before the Lord, if you fast and you pray, and if you pay the price for the anointing that he has for you, he inside of you, verse 9, he says, you will be filled with him. And he is the head of all rulers and all authorities. And he is more powerful than addiction. He is more powerful than poverty. He's more powerful than a lukewarm spirit. And just when the devil thought he had you immobilized, just when he thought he had you sterilized, just when he thought you had he had you infantilized, just when the devil thought he had finally captured you, Paul says Christ, through his death and resurrection, verse 15, has disarmed the rulers and authorities. He has put them to open shame. He has triumphed over them. And he says in verse 20 that we have died to the power of those authorities. We have died to the power of those spirits. That we no longer have to live a life submitting to their power and submitting to their authority. That means, dad and mom, if you are a blood-washed believer, you no longer have to submit to the old things in your life and in your family. You have authority of the power of Christ Jesus over your family and over any attack of the enemy against you and your household. That means, farmer in the room, if you are a blood-washed believer, you no longer submit to the weather and to the markets. You no longer have to live under, under the pressure. You have authority to speak to the wind and to the waves. You have authority to call in rain and tell it to go. You have the authority against the attacks of the enemy against your business. Teacher, if you're a blood-washed believer, you no longer have to submit to how things used to be or how things have been in this community for so long. You don't have to be subject to public policy. You are a son and a daughter of the king. You have authority over every demonic spirit that tries to come on your campus, every demonic spirit that tries to walk in your classroom. The prayers coming out of your mouth have authority over to shift the atmosphere on your campus. Maybe you're in here and you think you're powerless over your addiction, but the Bible just said that that power has been disarmed. It has been uh, put to open shame. You have authority over the bottle in the seat of your under the seat of your truck. You have authority over that dime bag that's in your console. You have authority over that needle. You have authority over that pill bottle. You have authority over your own body and your own mind. Claim it. Walk in it. The devil's biggest fear is that you would start stop believing his lies and start believing what God has said about you. Start believing that Jesus really did disarm some powers and authorities, that he really did shame those authorities, that he really did triumph over them. The devil's biggest fear is that you would wake up from your spiritual complacency, from your lukewarmness, that you would fan into flame the gift of the Holy Ghost inside of you, that Jesus would uh, begin to stir up the coals that are, that are dying inside of you, but there's fire that's still there. The devil is quivering in fear right now that you 
might actually start praying, that you might actually start fasting, that you might actually start reading your Bible. The devil is quivering in fear at the idea that you might get serious about bringing transformation to our community. Can I tell you something? The devil is deathly afraid of the potential that God has placed inside of you. He is deathly afraid of this house. He is deathly afraid of Believer's Fellowship. He has lied to you, and he told you that 16 years ago, oh, isn't that nice? You put the cute little church out in the country for someone to come and have a nice Sunday and for nice people to come and have a nice church service. That's wonderful for you. And the devil has said that's all that you're ever going to do, and that's all that this is ever going to be. But what he really knows is you didn't just plant a cute little church 16 years ago. You launched an army. You launched a movement. You launched an outpost for the kingdom of God. You launched a spirit-filled, fire-baptized, powerful church of the living God. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will never prevail against this house, will never prevail against this church. Oh, the first step to casting out devils in this region is for us to wake up from our spiritual complacency, from our religious attitudes, from our lukewarmness, to repent of lukewarm Christianity, to strap on some combat boots, to put on some war clothes, to start driving in Danville and go on Highway 10 till you hit Blue Mountain. And the whole way you start claiming the promises that God has placed over this community. Devil, you have been disarmed. You have been shamed. Jesus has triumphed over you. You are a defeated foe. I today loose this community from lukewarm faith. I today loose this community from the chains of addiction. I today loose this community from the grips of poverty. My city is blessed. My city is prosperous. My city serves Jesus. My city is healed and healthy. My county is a lighthouse in this region. King Jesus is Lord over my life, over my church, over my city, over my county. He is Lord. I refuse, devil, to ever allow you to have any authority in my town ever again. I I refuse, devil, to allow darkness to rule over my life, over my household, over my church, over my community. There is a regime change coming to Yale County. There is a changing of the guard in my life. There is a coup d'etat over the heavenlies in my county. God is up to something. He is disarming addiction. He is disarming poverty. He is disarming a lukewarm spirit here. My family will serve the Lord. We will stir up fires of revival. We will see signs and wonders and miracles in our day. We will see the lame walk in this church and we will see the blind see in this church. We will see oppressed set free. I claim authority over Belleville. I claim authority over Yale County. I claim authority in the name of Jesus over those elemental spirits that have kept us in bondage for so long. Come on. I claim authority over this entire community for Jesus. In the Old Testament, Katie, would you come? In the Old Testament, God gave Joshua a promise. And I believe it's relevant for us today. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God is speaking to Joshua, who has just taken over after the death of Moses. Seasons have changed. Leadership has changed. Things have changed. God gives Joshua a promise. He says, now, Joshua, go. Arise. Go over the Jordan. You and all of your people. 
into the land that I am giving them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I'm giving to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness, to the great river, to the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down sun, all of it will be yours. No man, no power, no ruler, no authority, no spirit will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this house, this people, to inherit this land, the land I promised their fathers. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I started looking at the scripture this week, and I said, Lord, I want every square inch of this county. I want every square inch of this city. I want every square inch of this community. Wherever I put my feet, I want it. Not just for Believer's Fellowship. Not so I can have a great church. We already have a great church. So that the kingdom of God can take back what belongs to it. The kingdom of God can have what is rightfully theirs. This promise, it starts with us. The enemy might have said he had control over this territory. But I believe this is a word of God for Believer's Fellowship. Every place that you is yours for the taking. Every place you go, he'll give us. Every place that we go, he'll grant us. Nothing can stand against us. No spirit, no no enemy, no devil, no demon, no power, no government official. No one can stand against the name of Jesus that we carry with us. We shall inherit this land. And this promise, it starts in your household. It starts with your life. See, you can't start claiming territory somewhere else until you start claiming the territory that's already yours, until you start taking authority over your own household, until you start leading your family in this, until you start claiming this promise for you and your marriage and your children and your job and your finances. I'm here to tell somebody this morning, he will give you victory over your demons. He will give you victory over your struggle. He will give you victory for your children, for your family, for your spouse. He will give you victory then for the attack on this community, the attack on this region. No lie, no ruler, no authority will ever be able to stand against you and the authority of Christ Jesus inside of you. Paul wrote in Colossians 2, and he said, you no longer have to submit to those elemental spirits. You no longer have to submit to those things that you used to submit to because you have been filled with Christ, and he is the head over all rule and authority. He has put them to open shame. He has disarmed the things that are coming against you. They're, not, they're helpless against you. 